All right. Good evening. Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon from Trapping Inc. TV. Today, my guest is from the southwest corner of Alberta, a place that uh, we lived uh, for a couple of years, Pincher Creek. And this is Lindsay Patterson. And welcome to the show, Lindsay. How are you this evening? Good, Rich. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I once spent two years uh, in in, uh, in Pincher Creek, but it seemed more like ten. <laughs> we we lived at the top of uh, top of the hill. We you drove up past the, um, the Royal Bank, and up at the top there you, you came to a, there was a, a big open field to the right. There was a big white house on the corner of LaBelle Street, and I don't know if it's white anymore. It was. 944, 744 LaBelle, and that was our place. Well, the wind yeah. blew all the way from from the uh, from Castle Mountain to uh, to our place, and I I could put down fresh sod on the west side of that building every year, and every year the, it would blow all the dirt out from in between the, the roots of the grass. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy here. There's a reason we have hundreds of wind turbines around Pincher Creek, and we're famous for wind and you get used to it to some degree, but there's probably 20 days a year that is, I mean, absolutely ridiculous. There's debris flying and, um, but yeah, we don't even bat an eye till it's over hundred K here until we actually get a wind warning, even 110 before we as locals now start to kind of take note. So it's a bit much. Well, I, I can't say much because we've, we've been, we clocked off over 90 yesterday and 90 again today. And which is, is, I mean, we do get a lot of wind here, but we don't not, not usually get those big winds, but, the best day I remember down there, I had uh, three kids all come of age to, to go hunting. And the best day was uh, the day my daughter shot her first deer. We were out uh, on the, uh, the Hutterites land to, to the west of, of, of Pincher and the wind was blowing and it was blowing so hard that it was picking up those half dry cow pies and it was rolling them across the, <laughs> across the prairie, just like wagon wheels. It was the most hilarious thing you ever saw. <laughs> Well, I've seen the big round bales in the farmer's field roll and get caught at the fence lines. That usually happens once or twice a year. And you know what those things weigh? Yeah, well, anywhere from 12 to 1,800 pounds. I mean, holy yeah. cow, that's a lot of weight. That yeah. was the first, first time we ever saw snow rollers, too. Yeah. And for anybody out there wondering what a snow roller is, it takes a, a certain combination of snow where you've got uh, fresh, fluffy snow, and then the temperature rises very, very fast with a big wind, and it actually rolls snowballs. So you, you might have a quarter section or a half section, you know, 160 or 320 acres of snowballs. And I'm not kidding. It is the craziest thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, it can be challenging with trapping, I tell you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you probably were live in the only place that's worse than mine for for the temperature changing for for doing things like footholds and that oh it's yeah one extreme to the other no doubt yeah i've actually shot gophers on uh christmas day in in uh, pincher creek yep yeah yeah we see them when we're out trapping all winter you know january february you know we we'll, we'll see them every month of the year you bet so there at, at pincher we were talking just before we went on here uh you trap both a uh residential which is private land and you also have a, our partners on a, a registered line that, that um, up in the big bush. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and residential mostly then that you must be there. You got to be focused on coyotes. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and how's the population around there? Um, stable. Good. Um, I don't notice much for fluctuations from year to year. Very little. Um, 
We're very fortunate down here with disease. Um, uh, less than 1% of our coyotes or from my numbers have mange or shoulder mites even or about 1%. Um, wow. I usually catch between 150 and 200 coyotes a year and may only pitch two or three, maybe four in a bad year. So we're very fortunate because I know you guys, you know, central Alberta, northern Alberta, uh, especially with the shoulder mites, it's, it's, it's bad. So. Oh, terrible. Um, I had, yeah. uh, I had one last year that I was so tickled on that there, uh, I caught 20 or 21 on it. I only had to throw three away. And the other one, I, I was over over in another area where I hadn't trapped before and, and uh, set up bait and all that. And uh, I only got to skin three out of, of 20 or 22. You know, it was like the rest were just terrible. They, yeah. Coyotes, and it, mostly here it's, it's shoulder mites. Yeah. But yeah when it progresses it's no longer just the shoulders it's all down the sides of the of the front of the animal and and they smell and they're matted and you know and it's it's uh i mean mange is an ugly ugly disease but shoulder mites is pretty rude too i don't i don't know if they survive it i i, I don't I'm, know i'm told they do and they can because it, it's just a lice technically yeah and they can they can grow that back the next year and and, and overcome it and become a fully primed coyote the following season. It's in my understanding is it's not a lethal type of pathology or anything like that in the month like mange. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I know mange can be cured. Uh, ivermectin. Yeah. Uh, which is now becoming kind of a wonder drug, isn't it? <laughs> I know a lot. I, you don't need to get into COVID here. I, I know a lot of farmers that aren't worried about COVID. <laughs> Me too, me too, in a rural area here, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Ivermectin, but um, I know that it'll cure cure mange, but I, I neither one of them, though, they they can't develop a uh, immunity to, can they? I mean, I don't believe so. I don't believe so, no. They're both parasites. Like, the one's a, a, a mite. The mange yeah. is caused by a mite, and the uh, other is caused by doglose or lice or yeah. whatever. So that's unfortunate it's unfortunate because i mean it's even hitting in our in our wolf population up here but that's just a sign of, of overpopulation right you bet yep so 150 200 you're a busy man yeah i'm a pretty mad busy man i work full-time um i'm a chiropractor here in pincher which is which is nice i meet a lot of people a lot of great people uh, i mean i moved here 15 years ago rural area just i've always felt rural people i come from a rural area myself i grew up west of calgary towards bright creek but they just seem to be more down to earth people, a little more easygoing and just, yeah, just good people in general. And I, I really like it here. And it's just, it's nice making those relationships with the landowners and uh, helping them trim down those coyotes. I mean, a lot of times they approach me, not the other way around come calving time. And then guys have calving issues in the spring. They'll phone me. I say, look, I can't get you till fall. And if it's a decent area, I'll, I'll try and help you as best, as best I can. And um, yeah, it, it, and I always say this with the trappers, we, we work really well with landowners and we, we complement each other in different ways very well. It, it's a, such a symbiotic relationship, really. It so, is. And, and uh, we don't have to, we don't have to sell our services to a rancher. They, they understand very well our, our value. Uh, yeah. What, um, do you have a favorite technique or do you, what, what techniques are you, do you, are you using for coyote? I mostly snare, um, more or less using the Seneca setup with, you know, a kill spring, a lead, uh, with a kill spring and a 265 breakaway. Um, 
Uh, I've gone to the bigger springs. I have a mix of springs and the bigger is better, but um, they're a little harder to hide. So I have a mix of different, different equipment. Last year, I got a little bit into leg holding. I've always, I've always been so interested in trapping. It's just the 24 hour trap check on the private land gets me and I work full time, but I ran a half dozen traps just for a couple of weeks uh, last year at a, a spot really close to Pincher that I could actually check every morning before work or right after work. And um, that was a pile of fun. And I, I already bought some of my own traps this year and I plan on doing that more to get an animal as cagey as a coyote to step on a pan that's two inches by two inches is, is a lot of fun. And um, I, you know, if we even had a 48 hour check like we do on register lines, that would be fantastic but um I'll, yeah, I'll do what i can and just do real close to pincher and uh you know like i said just do it before or after work yeah uh, we have 48 hours out on the big line you would out on your big line as well yeah uh, but it's it's tough yeah to 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 maintain that and the worst part is is that you know when you take a look at how long that trap will sit there before an animal is actually in it mm -hmm. you know and the fact if you're if you you have to check it every day every day well it might be 30 days or 40 days before you have an animal in that trap if ever you know i yeah. mean you, you you don't know there's no guarantee uh wish i could guarantee but i can't <laughs> but that, that that's cool that you're getting into it so um have you uh what uh foothold are you using i bought some of those no bs traps those new ones oh okay. and i really like those i borrowed those from a friend last year and um, yeah, they just, I don't know, they just seem to be, I don't know, stronger, better. And of course they're Canadian certified, which is what's required of us. Um, and there's not much tinkering out of the box. Uh, and they're that kind of black anodized color as it is. And um, yeah, I don't know enough about the traps, just more the technique, the good old fashioned dirt hole. And uh, I've taken many courses and stuff like that over the years and always watched leg hold courses and just thought, you know what, if I'm close to town, I can put this to work. Um, and, and I did last year. And like I said, very, very addictive. I can see how these guys that trap full time in the fall, they typically transition from a lot of footholding into snares when things, and I can see that that's, I mean, footholding is incredibly effective. And I think you're going to, going to catch the smarter coyotes that avoid your snares you'll catch in those footholds so how many how many coyotes you get in footholds last year i think in that two-week period i got eight or so um so i was i was happy with that yeah yeah and you were you were using like a dirt hole or flat set or a, a bit of both some dirt holes and you know a flat set a, a little bit of both and it's right next to a feedlot uh that is just full of coyotes which is helpful and i've got snares on the other side and and of it um and you know the by the end of the season the coyotes that are left were pretty cagey and you could see all kinds of refusals in my snares and uh so i said well i'm gonna i'm gonna fix them and i i did catch eight you know out of you know like i said only half mile from my snare set and it was kind of satisfying to walk up to them and uh yeah so we're we talking about the big feedlot uh, just to the east of a uh, pincher uh, no, that's uh, Sproul's feedlot. This one would be a little bit further south. Okay, but, um, I, I was talking with Sproul's. <laughs> I just did, didn't know whether anybody wanted to mention Sproul's name or not. <laughs> yeah. no, he's, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. I travel yeah. over on his place as well. You bet. Yeah. 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 So you work then off of uh, off of bait piles? 
Yeah, largely bait piles. Um, I get quite a bit of butcher trim. There's a big butcher shop, backcountry butchering in, in Cowley there that processes a ton of game. And yeah. I go there and get uh, lots of scraps. And there's another place up in Willow Valley, a little bit further west. And um, and now these guys with CWD issues and, and disposal fees, they have to truck their stuff all the way to Lethbridge. So um, to an incinerator, our local landfill no longer accepts them. So we end up saving those guys some money. They're very happy when you come and load your pickup truck up and... Uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, take some bait and stuff like that. And then I'll take some hides and stuff like that of deer that I've taken over the fall and put a little water in them and stink them up. Um, just little bits of scent and stuff like that here and there. So, so how many baits you run? Um, I'll maybe have as many as 10 going. Uh, probably got seven or eight good ones that I keep all year and um, always looking for more. I usually add one or two and, you know, lose not lose but just discontinue for a year one or two um there's one spot that i go all the way up by calgary kind of where i grew up that jumping pound area and it's a long way to go because it's you know a little over two hours for me i have one bait way up there and that is always my number one bait um i just know a lot of landowners up there from growing up there and every year i'm like this is so far to go for one bait but it's always the number one so we go all the way back and um we have a spot where we catch some wolves by chain lake so we just time that day that we check near chain lakes for the for the wolves and we catch quite a few coyotes in the same area so that we can at least you know pick up another bait on the way i'd like to have another bait even along there but um yeah logistically you got to manage that try and make a loop as best i can and um so you can check as many as you can in a day so what makes that bait so special um I don't know that there's any other trappers in that area for one. Um, and just uh, when I lived out there, the dent, the habitat, I don't know. There was just always a ton of coyotes out there. Um, last year was a little tougher. It's only the second year that I was out there. They're getting, they're, they're, they're onto me a little bit. So they're getting a little wiser, but still, you know, I can catch 40 coyotes off a of bait and um, 40. Yeah, um, there's a there's a, another that feedlot that I was mentioning earlier. I can usually catch between thirty and forty off that every year, and every year it's about the same. Um, the first year I caught a few more than that, and I thought, oh, I won't catch many next year. But the next year was the same, um, and year after year, it's just there. I mean, they're the ultimate renewable resource. Really, they yeah. just keep coming back. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Here's the thing: when we set traps whether it's for martin or lynx or or bait for coyotes or whatever you know we have something we're looking for subconsciously it seems or very consciously we, we have an idea you know about where we want that, that that bait to go and sometimes we're right sometimes we're wrong uh what are you looking for when you go to set a, a bait you you've got a new big chunk of land and and uh you're, you're going to set a bait. What are you looking for? Where, where's that bait going to go? Hey, folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink Coffee Blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, 
you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get back to today's show. Well, near feed lots is nice, but not critical. Um, you like? I really like that brushy cover. Uh, like down here, we've got we've got fairly decent trees. Depending, like right here on Pincher, we're kind of at the edge of the foothills and the prairies. But any coulee typically has got you know uh, Saskatoons and choke cherries and brush like that. But you learn very quick that in those coulees, when you first set in November. Um, most of that cover grows kind of on the west side of those coolies. And a lot of times the east side is completely bare. So that's where you hang your snares. Well, guess what? As soon as you get your first snow and blow, where does all the snow accumulate? Well, right where your snares are. And I mean, sometimes under four and five feet of snow and it's toast until, you know, until the season's over. <laughs> so it makes it difficult because it looks so juicy. And the reason it is juicy is that that snow packed accumulates there and nurtures all of those that foliage more and makes more dense cover. But if you get much snow, they just blow right in. Yeah. Um, so I do like those coolies. Um, a place too that I can get my truck within a couple hundred yards. I mean, I'll preferably drive right in, but I often use a calf sled and I don't use a quad at all on my on, on the resident line here. I'll just use a calf sled and put as much bait as I can in and go in and out. So I wanna be, wanna be able to drive within a few hundred yards at the most of, of where I'm gonna have some sets. Um, cow trails it's really important I like native pasture land not anything crop where you know lots of rows hips things like that where you have well-defined cattle trails um, it, it helps too if it's not overgrazed and of course those cattle can graze everything right down so you want enough cover even if it's knee high that's enough I mean preferably if you get brush even heavier you know like waist high uh, I like that but I would say more of that native pasture that native and, and river bottoms and creek bottoms and stuff like that and I, I pay a lot of attention now to drifts every year when I see oh this is a great spot and then it drifts in and it's toast for the whole season I, I don't even bother with that anymore because I just learned that it, it's just, just going to blow in you know and all it takes is one snow even if you only have an inch of snow it blows for three miles up to that coulee and you have three feet of snow in it so um I remember so I like that, that. <laughs> yeah, I try and stay away from houses, obviously. Um, I do, if I'm within, you know, a mile or so, I'll often talk to those people and tell them that I have permission and that I will be snaring in that area and um, give them my cell number and contact information and uh, don't have too many problems. I've caught a few dogs over the years and they've all been alive. Um, not a problem. The landowner or the adjacent landowner will phone me and will go and, and, and get their dog. Um, so, um, and, and a lot of it is a learning experience for them too. They don't know that it goes on and I show them breakaways, um, diff different things like that. And um, yeah, most are very good about it because most of the neighboring landowners too, they're cattle producers too, and they like to see them trimmed down, so. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's very much like you said, they, they are a renewable resource. They never, they never quit. They, it, never, it never slows down. So, do you have for for setting snares then do you have to use a, sta a snare sna stand or or do you uh can you 
have enough brush to work off of there? Um, I use number nine wire for and whammies like you know the Seneca setup typically has. I I actually like to take a length of number nine wire and wrap it around a large nail and then have a tag end sticking out of that nine wire at the bottom as well. So it actually has kind of two anchor points that go in the ground when I pound it in. So it can't spin on the nail. And that way it's like a very portable, I can put it wherever I want. I can put it on the edge of a stubble field. I, I can put it wherever. And if there is enough trees, I'll just, you know, wrap that around the tree with the nail on the bottom. But uh, that way it gives me that versatility. And I, and I really like using that. I pre-make a whole pile of those and then just have a bunch in the truck. So um, you're not worried about trying to find a bush big enough to, to tie a piece of not number nine wire for. And, and the same with anchoring my, my snares themselves. If I can tree tie, great. Um, I would say maybe only, I don't know, maybe a third to a quarter of my snares are tree tied. The, the rest are rebar staked. And I just pound those in and I'll leave those year after year. I just take the snare off and leave the lead there. And um, so, yeah, kind of, kind of a blend, kind of a mix. Okay. So you're, you, you, you're taking a piece of, of nine wire that goes up high enough to, to set your loop. You've got a, a coil or whatever on the bottom of them that, that you have a nail sticking through and you just pound Correct. that nail into the, into the ground. Yeah. Wherever I need it. You bet. Okay. That's a nice, that's a slick idea. Yeah. Yeah. Works really well. Yeah. Yeah, and and then what for for your rebar stake? You use a single stake. Yeah, I always just use a single stake, just with a washer welded on top. You know, eighteen inches or so. Oh, okay, um, eighteen. Yeah. Oh, you got, you got good clay it there. It is important with those um, with those number nine anchors with the nail to leave that tag end of the nine wire out, so that goes into the ground as well. Otherwise, sometimes that nail will just spin in the ground a little bit. Gotcha. If that makes sense, so you kind of have two anchor points. The nail and then the tag end of that nine wire coming off at the end of the wrap there yep. and that's that's very helpful yeah yeah i can see that i can see that a simple a, a simple solution to uh to that wind blowing in it and pushing oh, yeah. your, your snare sideways right <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you um you you just went in and uh you're talking about uh courses and that uh, you you had, did a, a pretty special footholding course just just recently, right? With yeah, I I kind of helped organize. Like a, a, there's a lot of wolf issues down here, as there is in many areas of Alberta, and um, trying to help some landowners and stuff out to trim down wolves. And uh, we catch a few, but you can never learn too much, as you know. So um, the Lay brothers, Dan or not brothers, the father son Dan and Kyle Lay from Williams Lake, um, they're fairly well known, and at least at least the wolf trapping community as being. They're kind of the hired guns for British Columbia for catching wolves where if it, all else fails, phone them. And uh, they do very, very well catching wolves on ranches, you know, uh, primarily due to cattle predation is why they get called in. And um, so they make their own trap too, which is a fantastic wolf trap, uh, certified as well. Yep. Um, and just the technique they use, you know, I don't want to divulge too much, but um, it, it's you know, you, you focus on catching one of the alphas or both the alphas. And if you can do that properly, you, you can catch the rest of the pack relatively easy just with using the politics of a wolf pack. Of course, those dominant wolf leaders, you can catch those if you do it right. Yeah. Um, so, so it was a very interesting course. Lots of slideshows. If, if 
I think there's other people in Northern Alberta that were interested in getting them out too. Um, I had spoke to a few people in Northern Alberta that were going to come and then they discussed with me, well, I think we might want them to come up to Northern Alberta and give a course. And I said, yeah, great. You, you won't be sorry. That was, was, it was a really well done course. And we had, so two days of instruction and then one day in the field to, to put everything to work. And um, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. And like I said, those slideshows, I've always loved lots of pictures and slides and stuff like that. And those guys, yeah, they're, uh, they're really interesting. And as, as you know, they tend to be the last people that are called. And anytime you mess with an animal, they, they just get smarter and smarter and smarter. And they say it's often difficult. You're the third or fourth guy going in there and everybody else has just educated them. Uh, wolves in particular are extremely intelligent. And, uh, and they're the ones that get called in to try and fix everybody else's problems and why they couldn't catch them. And, and they still do very well. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was the one, like, I'm not, not asking you to tell uh, tales outside of school here, but what was the one surprise, thing that surprised you the most about their approach? Um, oh, well, relatively simple, but like lots of, a, lots, doing lots of the little things. And, and maybe the biggest one would be the mindset. It didn't surprise me. I know that with trapping coyotes myself, but if you go in there, just, I hate wolves. I want to kill every one of them. You're just, I don't know. There's something about that. You're just not going to do well, but if you go in there determined and confident, but you know, kind of respecting the animal and, and, and just putting what you've learned to work, you tend to do better. And, and they say people will often give off that aura and they can pick people out of courses and, and, and tell you're going to do well. You're just calmer and you're, you know, certain demeanors of people. And they said like, you know, you can't describe that. And there's no science to that, but it is absolutely real. And they say they can't stress that enough. Don't go out there and just like, I'm going to get every one of these SOBs because they're killing my buddy's cows. And it, it just won't work that way. Um, so I found that to be really interesting, but I, I've noticed that even with my hunting, with other trapping and stuff like that, that right frame of mind seems to be a, a bigger deal than I think what people give credit for. And uh, I was kind of worried because I told them, I said, well, if it's excitement, like, is it okay that you're excited? Cause if you're excited, I said, I'll, I'll never catch a wolf. Cause I'm so excited about this all the time. And they say, no, no, excitement is good. You know, just you know, it, it's the other things. Right. So, um, so that I was think, maybe the interesting part. I think it's that way with life though. I mean, every morning you get up, you make a choice to be happier or not. I mean, I you know, completely, I completely and, agree. Yeah. And, and that's your choice. And, and uh, I think that, that, uh, that shows through in anything, you know, um, for me, I look at people who are unhappy and I, and we all know somebody who's chronically unhappy. And I think about, Oh my God, what it, what misery it must be to live inside that skin all day long. And, you know, you, you look at, uh, at something like trapping. Why would I want to be angry when I'm trapping? Do you know what know. I mean? It's, it's my it, happy place. I mean, it's exactly like, it. <laughs> I am like a kid every day I check. I am that night. I can hardly sleep thinking about bait and hot, bait and hot, or we add a couple snares here, there. And, um, yeah, I'm just as giddy about it as I have ever been. And um, yeah, I, I just, I can't get enough of it really, you know, and all aspects of it. That's why I'm starting to get into footholding now. Um, yeah, I'm just, I love it. Well, it's funny. We did a, an episode on the show this year and it was Christmas day. And when, 
Sandy teases me in the intro and says, well, every time you walk up to a to a, a, another set, it's Christmas Day. You know, it's it, again and again and again. And it's true. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's it's pretty funny. And people who come out with you on the trap line, they get into that really quick too. You know, getting out yeah. and checking in that. And they're all excited to see stuff. And sometimes they get, get, get so, uh, especially when you're, you know, you, where you got a multiple sets and that they, they get ahead of themselves. It's like, you know, they just, they see it and and, and then they want to move to the next one, next one. Well, we got to take care of this first, you know, this got to <laughs> slow down here. <laughs> oh, I, I'm very much the same. My girlfriend, Tiffany here, she traps with me 90. She has her license. She's taken the course and everything. And um, she's very, very proficient, but I, and she wants to go by herself. A lot of times we're trying to run all these baits and she says, well, I'm not working. I can go. And it's like, well, I don't want you to go because I want to. I want to <laughs> walk up to every one of those sets. It's not that I. She's very proficient in maintaining and resetting and dispatch if needed and all that. But it's more. I, I got to get over that so we can maybe run a few more baits and um, even even when we're checking together, if she's you know I'm dealing with a dead coyote in a snare and she starts walking ahead. I mean, I, I cut that thing out <laughs> twice as fast and loop a new one on to catch up just to see. You know, I just yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I completely understand. <laughs> so do you, uh, you must process all your own then? You do your, your own skinning and, and uh, boarding and fleshing and boarding? I do all my own dirty work. Yeah, yeah. Good. So um, yeah, I've got my garage set up. I've got a winch set up and I actually have a, a cooler that I use that I built that I use in big game season because I'm an avid hunter as most of us trappers are, uh, especially bow hunting. So those seasons open in September. So I've got a walk-in meat cooler and what I do is after the season is over, because uh, it's so well insulated, I simply, because my garage itself is not heated. I do have a wood stove in it, but I just simply put a space heater in that room. It's not that big. It's maybe eight by 10, but I can still hang a couple dozen coyotes in there if I need to. And I just keep it at about, you know, 15 to 18 degrees to thaw coyotes if I need to, and then just pull them out and, and winch skin them all and, and flesh them and do all the dirty work. So that cooler actually works really good as a hot box too. So it's, you know, kind of dual purpose depending on the type of or the time of year it is. Yeah. You know, people don't understand how long it can take to thaw coyote, you know? Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And it's no secret that I'm a big fan of coffee. Our friends at Old Smokes smoke roast their coffee beans over wood fires. You have no idea how good coffee can taste until it's smoked coffee. Did you know that studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity? Yeah, it's that good. Sandy and I have teamed up with Old Smokes Coffee to make our own Trapping Ink coffee blend. Let me introduce you to Wolverine, an ultra dark roast coffee bean smoked over maple wood fires. This is the pure, uncut trapper's fuel that keeps us laughing and trapping all day long. If you'd like to try our special blend, you can find it at www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop. If dark roast isn't your thing, Old Smokes has five different coffee roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get 10% off your entire order. Just go to www.oldsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com and use the promo code rich that is promo code rich for 10 percent off your entire order and now let's get back to today's show it's unbelievable i will take a frozen rock hard coyote and i will put it in there at 18 degrees and sometimes it's just over three days to thaw it completely 
So it tells you how well insulating those those coats are. Actually, mine I find that mine thaw quicker if I if I if I throw them on the concrete. And I my shop is is heated by coal. I have a coal burning stove in there. And it's no different than a wood burning stove, just it burns coal. But I keep it at about 15 degrees in there. And they will actually thaw faster on the on laying on that concrete because that concrete is up to temperature as well, right? Mm-hmm. And they just being in contact, I think maybe it it, it uh, gets rid of some of that insulative factor because the you know the, the the hair is compressed and and the heat is closer to it and that kind of stuff. But if I got to thaw something fast, I'll lay it down. If I've got you know if I get, if I'm getting home on a on a, a Sunday night and I don't want to skin till Wednesday or whatever, then I'll just hang them right. And then mm-hmm. uh, they'll, they'll be ready to go, like you say. But it takes it takes three days. It's it's not like an overnight thing. No, not at all. Yeah. 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 You also have a registered line, and that is uh, uh, what? That, gee, that's got to be four hours north of you, five hours north of you. Yeah, five and a bit. So yeah, yeah, it's a long ways. Actually, yeah, my, you're actually north of my son's line. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's west of Rocky there somewhere. He's west of Rocky, and uh, it's uh, Baseline Mountain. Is right in the middle of his his trap line. Okay, yeah. So that's we're the first. Right along, yeah, we're right along Abraham Lake between the North Ram River and Abraham Lake, so we're not that far from him. Which side of Abraham? South side. Oh, okay. <coughs> yeah, and then all the way south to the North Ram River. Oh, and okay. Then, you're, so you're you're above down to the north down to the North Ram. Yeah, oh. and then we actually go a little bit east of the trunk road. And then all the way west to the, I think it's the White Rabbit. Um, yeah. Uh, to the White Rabbit. It's a big line. It's 467 square kilometer line. It's so, a huge line. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Must must be good trapping. You must. It it, it is. It it's it's really good. There's no forestry or oil and gas at all on our. I shouldn't say that along the trunk road. There's a little bit of forestry and oil and gas, but it's it's truly a wilderness line. Um, get into issues with snow because along the north saskatchewan where the cabin is where we mostly trap they have a tremendous amount of chinook influence like we have in pincher so there's there's really not much snow most of the year but as soon as you go even a little bit further south there's basically a a big big ridge that 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 separates the the north ram river and the north saskatchewan river and as soon as you just go a little ways up the snow all of a sudden gets to be three feet deep and you can't take a quad anymore so it's very difficult. You would beat the beat the snot out of a snowmobile to bring it in by the dam where we come in because you'd be going over rocks and stuff for miles and miles before you hit enough snow. And then you take your quad. You can only take it so far. So, I mean, there's been some discussion of, of putting tracks on quads and stuff like that. But effectively, to be honest, we probably trapped 10% of that line down along the river. And, and it's, I mean, the potential there is, is mind boggling. But oh, uh, my God, we, we do well I've, on that portion. I've hunted a lot of that country. I've hunted a lot of it. I've been I've been on top of a lot of those mountains and in my boots. You know what I mean? And yeah, uh, yeah that would that would that would be cool. I mean, there's some places that you just like to hunt or like to trap because you you have history with, and I have history with a lot of that that area. That well, from anywhere where there's sheep in Alberta, all the way down those mountains. I've you know all the way from up at uh, uh, at Kakwa River, all the way down to to 400 down where, where you are there at Pincher. I've, I've, I've hunted all of that. And, and I always thought it'd be cool to trap. And when I actually, when I, when I was looking for this, uh, the last tra- uh, trap line that I bought, I was looking at a, one of the, the um, Eastern slopes trap lines and that I'm glad I didn't get the one. I actually had, 
I'd made an offer to a guy and he's, he'd accepted, but then I found out he was just using me to leverage his junior partner is what, what, what was going on. And, and I was, I was angry when I lost out on it because I, I, I wanted it. And I liked the area and I knew the area I'd hunted it and everything. And, and uh, then this, this other one came up and it was not in an area that I would ever looked at before. Right. But then it turns out I got a lot of animals there that I would never had on that, on that Eastern slopes. I mean, the Eastern slopes would have had, uh, you know, the uh, fisher and, and wolf and, uh, or no, not fisher, pardon me, but wolf and, and lynx and, and Martin and, and nothing else really, you know, wouldn't have had the beaver, the muskrat, the otter, the mink, and all that kind of stuff that, that, that we ended up having. So yeah. it was one of those, uh, 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 unanswered prayers from God, right? <laughs> yeah. But your line must i mean there's you got a fair amount of water there so do you have things like otter there or do you have an otter quota or i i believe the north saskatchewan river is the boundary as soon as you go north of it there's there's uh otter quota oh. we are and that's our north border so we technically do not have we, we don't have otter quota now i've been told by the rocky local and and you may know this more with your son being there that there's a pretty big push the biologists acknowledge that the otter population south of there is doing quite well and um, they're talking about ha having quotas move further south in fact we've got them here in the old man river uh, i just got some pictures the other day right below the uh, old man dam here just by pincher there's there's been several for years and on the crow's nest river there's been lots for years speaking of the biologist down here who actually sits on that advisory group of specific biologists in alberta that that advises with trapping regulations and stuff she she's even said that there's a potential for a small quota this far south so okay. hoping maybe there's some change for for at least some harvest and it's something they can control very well being on on, on a quota like that right so yeah um, i mean uh quota is a really really good idea but like quota has never changed in forever you know like i mean and so either quota was too low or quota has the is a really poor system you take a look at links uh what's your links quota i think we're allowed 13 on the line there 13 and you have a huge line like holy cow yeah. 13 yeah. mustn't take you very long no no it, and it's one small brushy area that we we try and spread out the harvest but we don't really target them much every year we don't always fill our quota so yeah um yeah but all the same for what we have for quota in Alberta, there uh -huh. is less than 10% caught every year. Probably, yeah. No, yeah. It, it, when you look at when yeah. you look at the first sales, what goes to auction and all that, and it's just well, because, you know, I mean, it, it's not that people, uh, you know, uh, they, they're not they're not as valuable as they used to be, you know. So they're they're not being targeted whatsoever. So I mean, when, when we're not catching you know more than 10 percent of, of the quota then the quota isn't set right or something right you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. you know i i think they're an animal that, that that quota isn't necessary for um i can see i can see quota being important for for otter i think that they have it benefited from it and i think the otter also benefited from uh uh the work we've done with cleaning up the the water the streams that kind of stuff um, you know, we used to run a lot more mud net and because I mean, in in the streams and all, and I think that was important. You know, you take a look at your area down there, the the, the roads and all that kind of stuff. You know, those those uh, watersheds are very important for for fish, and that's what's important for for the otter. Um, much as everybody talks about that they eat beaver and and muskrat and all that, my otter are just sticklebacks. 
those little tiny sticklebacks like that that they, that's what they live on that's what they get fat on and you know every pond that that's in that's you've got you've got otter for sure so i mean i i think that that otter uh the um uh quota has been important for i don't think it's i think it's meaningless when it comes to lynx lynx are are you know they're a boom and bust animal and they they follow the rabbits there's nothing we can do but we can't control rabbit population we won't i don't think we're going to control the lynx population um fisher we got our, our fisher quota after somebody read a, a 1969 um, uh, study from pennsylvania honest to god <laughs> how much sense does that make right uh wolverine is uh yeah, they probably profit from it um we're learning though more and more about wolverine from the the aca study and that there's way more wolverine than we ever dreamt with there was do you have wolverine on your line there uh yeah there is we've not caught one they tend to be higher up i mean we see sign it's certainly on my bucket list i i really want to trap one of every fur bearing species in alberta and the, the my last few we do have a fisher quota there i think we're only allowed two uh, we haven't caught one yet um, yeah. al the senior he's caught them before but i haven't so i need a fisher an otter and a wolverine and and um so i don't know how i'm going to catch the otter i'm going to have to maybe sign on with you as a junior for, for <laughs> like that rich but <laughs> i'm allowed a dozen and i could do that in a week yeah you know if, if i wanted to but I like to kind of space it out so there's more Christmas days, more more packages to unwrap. <laughs> so you have lots of Martin then up there? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few Martin. You betcha. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got we've got quite a few down here. And interestingly, the way the fur management zones are set up, south of Highway Three, we cannot trap Martin on private land, unless well, on a registered line you can. But as soon as you go north of Three, I've I don't remember which fur management zone it is, but the regulations change is a different fur management zone north of Highway 3. So, I mean, you just barely go across the highway and you can trap them. And surprisingly, in some of the areas that I actually hunt elk in, in, in 302 here, just west of Pitcher, uh, tremendous, like I've never seen so much Martin sign, but it's on private land and, and leased land and outside of a fur management area. So they're kind of off limits. And I don't know huh. why they have that regulation. Um, like you said, a lot of this information is quite dated. Um, we have snaring restrictions here where I can set a snare commencing October 1st in zone 300, which is what borders Waterton Park. Well, if you look at all, any of the grizzly bear management studies, I think that's bear management area one. Um, it has the highest density of grizzlies in Alberta. We have a ton of them down here, yet I can set a snare there. As soon as we go north into the Porcupine Hills, it's a, a different fur management zone, and I can't set a snare before December 1st, and it says right in the regulations, in order to protect incidental bear catches. So, I mean, it, it makes no sense. I mean, there's not near as many grizzly bears in, in the Porcupine Hills, for example, as there is no. in South. And I just think that that, I, I, I'd have to look back, but I bet you that regulation's been in place for 30 or 40 years, and it, and it should probably be, be revisited. That being said, I'm nervous that, well, then maybe I won't be able to snare until December 1st if if they see that, you know, and, and that it is a concern. That being said, I always use 265 breakaways, the smallest. Yeah. Um, every year I catch grizzly bears as seen by tracks in snow, and they pop those breakaways without any problem. Every year, the same with cougars. Yeah. Um, uh, deer saves a lot of deer. Um, 
on, you know, of course, on the registered line targeting wolves and West here targeting wolves, you're using a bigger breakaway. So you're going to maybe hold some of those, but I'm a, I'm a big advocate of those smaller breakaways in the, in the prairie zones where you're, you're, you know, you're not trying to catch a wolf or anything like that. The biggest, biggest fur bear you're going to catch is a coyote. And I, I really, really believe strongly that, that we should have, you know, it's very controversial, but I, I think they should be mandatory just to save deer alone, you know, in those, in those prairie areas. Um, kind of where I'm at. Um, I'm a, I probably catch 20 to 25 deer a year in them, again, judging by tracks. And, yep. um, hey folks, Rich here with some exciting news from trappinginc.com. We were listening when you said you wanted more clothing and we heard you loud and clear. We've expanded our clothing line, more colors, men's, ladies, and children's sizes, more variety. Living off grid gives more time for the creative juices to flow. New humorous observations are added weekly, as well as our classic Trapping Inc. logo. We have joined forces with Tee Public. You can find our Tee Public storefront from the store page on trappinginc.com. Just go to www.trappinginc.com forward slash shop and just scroll down to find the link for our Trapping Inc. storefront. Or you can go to teepublic.com and enter Trapping Inc. TV in the search bar at the top. Check it out. Big sales every month, and you can save up to 35%. Don't miss out. Get your favorite gear today. And now let's get back to today's show. It's very rare that once in a while I'll hold a yearling caught around the nose or something like that, and I just phone the local Fish and Wildlife officers and report it, and, and, and it's all good. But uh, it's scary to think what what I would hold if I, if I wasn't using those breakaways. I totally agree, and, and it's really funny because if you ever put a trail camera on, on one of your baits, you'll be astounded at how many moose deer and elk visit bait you know and, I, they, and they're just so curious about it i mean how many how many really nice buck deer i'll have go up and sniff my snare you know what i mean <laughs> I, i'm amazed too like you have this this bait pile of dead ungulates and, and and predator tracks all around it and yet you're right these moose elk and deer come right in and they're like what's going on here it's like you should probably get out of here you know this is a bad place but, but it, it, they're very curious it doesn't bother them at all. I mean, once again, I, I mean, here, here we are two, two trappers who, you know, very familiar with the ways of, of, of life and death. And yet we're, we're uh, guilty of the Disney thing too. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of like the Disney effect where these animals should know that that's bad and, and scary and all that. They deal, deal with this stuff all the time. I mean, it, it's, it, it's nothing for them to be, be scared of. Right. It's just yeah. like the first time somebody has an experience with a bear and they said, and I, shot right right over top of it and it didn't scare it at all I said, why would why would it scare them a loud a loud noise they, they're used to loud noises they're used to used to thunder and lightning and that kind of stuff they don't know to be scared they don't know that it was a gun that you shot at them you know what i mean <laughs> it's pretty funny that way so you're you uh that's amazing though i'm i'm astounded like like the porcupine hills, how are they for for Martin? There's a few in there. I usually get one or two in there a year, but they don't seem to be as dense as if you go further west across 22 more along the mountains there. there there's quite a few more that way. So yeah, that would make sense. But I, I don't, I didn't know about that uh, about that down down south of three. That, yeah, is, yeah. that is strange because I mean, every, I think anywhere else in Alberta, practically, I mean, where there's Martin, you can you can. There is You're like the whole province, with the exception of south of Highway Three, you can trap Martin during the normal season on private land, lease yeah. land where you have permission. 
but just not down here. In fact, I know um, one of the gentlemen, Bruce McIntosh, great fella, he's had the line on all the front ranges from Waterton all the way up to, to Mill Creek, and he gets a lot of Martin on his line, but he does a lot of private land trapping adjacent to his line too, along Highway 3 going to Waterton. And he says too that he sees far more far more Martin sign on the private and lease land adjacent to the forestry where, where he traps a few than he does, you know, where, where he can actually catch them. So that's interesting. Yeah. So do you, uh, are you too far West for Bobcat? No, no. Um, I've taken over the years, three Bobcat. They're by no means common, but um, we do have them here and it's always kind of a big deal. You know, I get excited with, with my girlfriend and stuff. If we see a Bobcat track and, sometimes you know i know you've described lynx as kind of those hippies wandering through the woods well sometimes those bobcats are the same you see one track once and you set you set heavy for it hoping it's going to come back and you know maybe it's early november you see sign and the whole season goes through to the end of february and it never comes back um other times so the ones i've caught have hung around bait sites and stuff um the one i had to we had a cone bear box to catch um we we're catching actually lots of skunks in the area. Like I said, I like to target everything. We were catching skunks and uh, this bobcat, a weasel had actually gotten into it and got caught in a, in a 280 and it had eaten the weasel. And so we reset it and that thing would hang around the box and look and we saw its tracks all the time. We, and I set some smaller snares and made some pen sets, just would not commit to anything. So finally, I pulled out the old number three soft catch there and said, okay, I'm going to have to check every 24 hours, but I'm going to get this thing. And uh, I think it took four or five days and we would go in and this is right at the end of December when it was dark, when I got off work, but we girlfriend and I would go in with her headlamps and we'd look and two or three times it was right there and we saw its eyes glowing back at us. Oh, cool. <laughs> And so then finally we backed out and uh, one, the next day we came and sure enough, there he was, he was caught perfect in the, with the front paw in, in a bit of a pen set and he'd stepped right in it. And it was an old, old cat, his pelt, like his fur wasn't that nice, but I weighed him. It was 41 pounds. It was a huge bobcat. Holy. Um, I put him on the scale. That's what he was. And his teeth were like marbles. They were worn to nothing. And I'm sure that that's what, was keeping him around that bait as he was kind of he was on his way out even though he was still big um and his pelt he had burdock in it and it was kind of beat up and that one just went the tannery for myself just because of everything leading up to that and remember that one tiffany we messed with that cat we'd yeah. seen it for two weeks and we finally caught it and and that's what's so fun you, you you make you know some of these animals you get personal with you know trying to fool one critter and and um, I've got all kinds of tan stuff because it, it, it's more of a memory to me how I caught it and where I caught it. And, you know, the weather, can you remember all that stuff? Just like a deer head or an elk head on your wall, right? I, so, have, a, I have a serious taxidermy addiction. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but I often say that uh, being a good trapper makes you a far better hunter. Have no question. And, 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 and vice versa. Um, look at the guys like Tom Miranda, Tom Miranda. I mean, he's such a big name as a hunter and a lot of people don't realize that he really, he started off as more of a trapper than anything. Was, and, yeah. He started as um, a trapper completely. Yeah, he actually, uh, did broke a lot of ground there when he, he would fly, you know, he out, out, uh, West and that the Dakotas and Wyoming and that he had a little plane and he, and that's li literally how he checked his, his line was yep. up and down all day long with a, with a little plane. Right. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. If I, you're a good hunter, you're going to, you, you can be a good trapper. And I think the two very much go hand in hand. I think that, uh, oh, I'm just, I got a, I got a, a ma whitetail with, with triplets out here in front of, <laughs> they're cute. I just, I just mowed my, uh, my power line out front and, uh, and say, so now you get to see everything. Normally they'd be covered in the trees and everything, but, um, when, when it comes to hunting or fishing, whether it's, you know, rifle or archer, whatever, you still have that advantage of distance, right? You know, you still got to get them within 30 yards or 200 yards or whatever. But when it comes to trapping, you have to get that coyote to put his foot on that two inch pan, right? Of all the places he could put it. You know what I mean? So it's, you're, you're far closer to, to having a conversation with that animal when you're trapping than, than you ever dreamt of uh, uh, as being a hunter or a fisherman. You have to, you have to convince that animal that that's where he wants to go. You know, you close isn't good enough. They, they gotta be right there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I find, I find that, that, that that's the biggest challenge. And, and I think that's where some people then develop a, a, a personal affinity for a particular animal, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, like the lays with the wolves and uh, Morley with the wolves and, uh, you know, some, some of the other people that, that I've, I've trapped with, like, uh, Kevin Schaub and, and his, his dad, Rennie and the Wolverines and, and the Lynx and that, the, you know, it, it's interesting to see how their mind works. I found it fascinating with the Wolverines and this just one of those things that I would have never, never twigged on, but when somebody has an animal, they, they, you know, they, it's like they can communicate with that animal and with the wolverine they they would have a, a bait pile that they, they'd be snaring wolves off of right or hoping to snare wolves off of he says the wolverine would come in and they would claim it and of course when a wolverine claims something they pee on everything right they, they pee on everything and, and uh, so they'd set a pen there you know they're, they're stuck with wire pen and they'd set it there and, and uh he said then you take a piece of meat that the wolverines peed on and you put it in there and, and he's got to got to go back and get it and i said how did you know to take a piece of one that he peed on i said i would have been putting fresh stuff in there non-stop and i'd have been getting bloody stuff and everything else he says well we did it in, be in the beginning but then we realized that that the wolverine had claimed it and you'd taken it away so he has to get it back right well it was like the light bulb came on in my head it was like instantly i knew that's exactly the truth you know that that, that was that that conversation you just had with the with that animal so that, that was that was cool and that's those, those are the kind of things that you, you know, you work hard to, to, to have happen to, to make understand it. Some animals, I don't know, you know, they like the, the Martin and the Fisher and that they're, they're, they're perhaps uh, not as, I don't, I don't want to say deep thinker because that, that, you know, makes a, alludes to the fact that they, that they might have thought and they don't, they're not sentient by, by any means, but uh they're just they're straightforward at forward animals you have a, a bait where and lure where the, the the smell hits them and all that not very often are they cagey about anything it's it's commitment and done right some of the other animals like the like the the, the canines and, and uh to a lesser extent the the, the felines but or the wolverine there there is some you know you, you have to have to have a, a little bit more understanding of the animal itself right there's a little bit more that has to go on Agreed. Yeah. I really like, you know, with those coyotes, when you talk, you know, they're maybe not as, they think a little bit more, like you said, than say a Martin or something like that. But 
all the time, especially late in the season, I really like to, you know, see where I'm getting a lot of coyote refusals on one particular trail. And I'll often take that nine wire and swing that snare right off the trail and give them a week or so and get them using it. And then the next time I'm in there checking or after a couple checks, you know, come in from the side and just swing that number nine wire back across or add one, add a snare, you know, 20 yards further well before the refusal. And it's amazing those late season coyotes that have been through your snare set and have seen a lot of their buddies maybe hung up in there. Um, you, you pick up a lot of those smart ones by adding that at the end. And um, yeah, I have bait sites that you walk in and there are coyote tracks everywhere and you look and you know, you've got, you know, you got 25 snares there and you've got like 15 refusals where they've gone around and it just drives you nuts. So I, I like kind of trying getting in their mind. It's like, Oh, this snare isn't here anymore. And, you know, eventually they kind of notice it's not there and start using it and just, just little tricks like that. Um, it, again, it makes it more challenging and it's just, I don't know, it's more fun. It's, 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 it's part of the allure of it all, right. Is outsmarting that critter. Morley showed me that with wolves, you know, we had uh, one, snare on it there was a, a pretty good trail it you know it was a pretty obvious trail so we had this snare on it and he says they're going to see that and they're going to veer off and go this way because this side was all brushed in and that but there was kind of like a an opening or a path between a, a pair pair of trees and he says and so we'll hang a snare over there right and he says they'll just veer off and they'll they'll they'll, they'll head in there and he was right the first yep. coyote i caught was on was on this veer off snare and and uh, one of the wolves was on the veer off snare it was it was it was just he just under, understood that for me and it happened last winter when when you get the uh, weather condition and that pretty soon you have like uh, an acre or two acres of flat padded snow <laughs> you know you, you haven't had fresh snow so you don't know what trails they're using anymore uh that that, that gets difficult then to try and figure out what they're doing and, and where they're coming in from but they're still there they're still hitting it you know, it's it's good if they will grab one of those hides and drag it back into into the brush or whatever, because then then there's going to be fresh trails around it, and and you can set on right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is uh, it, it's it's awesome that you've uh, got such a wide variety to from going all the way down down there on the on the prairies and and uh, with the coyotes and the, and the bobcats and that, and then all the way up, up to Nordic. That, that's, uh, that's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know about that. Cause I, I mean, I know that country very well. That's, that, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, I'd like to thank you. I think uh, I'll, we'll, we'll call this good for the, for this evening. We're, we're, we're pushing up on our hour here, let you get on with your evening. And uh, uh, I'd like to thank you for your time though. It's been awesome. I, 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 I would like to uh, run into you someplace and, and uh, have be able to sit down and do this across the table again. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good, Rich. Yeah. I'm sure you, I'll see you at a rendezvous or something. We we're all set up to go to the Rocky rendezvous last year before COVID hits. And then, yeah. So hopefully next year and, you know, get together with all that and yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. Well, thank you. And I will, uh, I will say thanks to everybody out there for, for joining us. It's been awesome. I hope you enjoy your morning drive. I know you all download this stuff for, for your drive uh, into the city or whatever, and uh, hope we've kept you awake. <laughs> you take care and maybe we'll see you down the line.